You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Anthony Cashman, and this is our weekly look at the Chicago White Sox. I am joined, as I am each week, by the fabulous Scott Merck. And Merck, uh, as we record this, we're going into Tuesday here, 12 games left before the All-Star break for the Chicago White Sox. And as you pointed out in your latest story at MLB.com, nine of those 12 are at home, six are against the Twins and Braves, who have uh, each of their league's worst records. Um, so this is a, obviously it's always an important stretch uh, just before the break, kind of know where you're sitting uh, going into the, the ceremonial midway mark. But for this club, it feels particularly important because uh, Rick Hahn's got some decisions to make. Yeah, you know, Rick Hahn talked to the media at the beginning of the homestand like he usually does and said there's no magical day or no magical mark over 500 that, you know, let him decide whether he should make, you know, two moves, three moves, one move, no move, whatever, you know, how aggressive he's going to be, basically. But I would say it's, I think it's a pretty safe guess, you know, when you have three at home against the Twins, three on the road against Houston, which should be a very interesting series, three at home against the Yankees, who are kind of in the same boat as the Sox, and three at home against Atlanta. If you go four and eight or five and seven somehow on that, I think 500 is even, you know, okay. But if you go below 500, I think you got a pretty you know, hard fight to come back from in the second half. They're at 500 as we tape this. Now, it's not to say they have to go out and go 10-2 and two and they have to sweep you know, Minnesota and Atlanta because they're bad teams. People lose to both those teams, obviously. They have talent. They're a major league, major league squad. But it, it's, a, it's a big stretch to show what direction they are. You know, they're kind of in the same boat as last year, although they're a better team this year. You know, last year... They had one really good stretch where they won seven in a row going right into the trade deadline. They got within, I want to say, a game and a half or two games of the second wild card spot. And, you know, the Sox didn't want to give up top prospects to add on at that point. And they ended up making the right decision because they, you know, fell under 500 and fell well short in the playoffs. This year, I think, you know, they're a more complete team, although not complete. And once again, though, with the way Cleveland's playing, they may be looking at a wild card type situation. It's a little early still with so many head to head games with Cleveland. But just the way the Indians have kind of separated themselves, you wonder if that's the case. So then you have to weigh, you know, as the White Sox, what do you give up in order to get something back? Do you, do you feel like if you get in the wild card game with Chris Sale or Jose Quintana as your pitcher, you've got a shot to get to the next round? So you go all in, so to speak, or do you kind of, you know, maybe go a level down in acquiring people? But I think these 12 games, while not setting the final decision, because you do have six in the West Coast and Anaheim and Seattle after the All-Star break, We'll, we'll go a long way to deciding that. They need to be over 500. They need to go into the break, I would say, over 500 after this 12-game stretch. Yeah, the scenario I don't see, and I'm sure it'll be talked about just because we need stuff to talk about at the trade deadline, um, but I, the White Sox could lose all 12 of these games, and I don't think they would they would trade Chris Sale or Jose Quintana. I just don't see no, it happening think. in season. Even And I get it. It's a shallow pitching market. And they could get a haul for either of those guys, but I just don't see things going that far south that quickly that, you know, suddenly you rethink your entire organization. No, I, well, I, if they went 0-12, I don't think that would be a real good scenario either. But I think uh, <laughs> Well, of course not, but I, I don't think it changes your entire no, I, well, outlook. You, know, you, made a, window you made a good point, but I, I, as far as I remember, I don't think it's a very deep market in the offseason for free agent pitchers either, right? Now it was Steven Strasburg right. signing with the Nationals, so... In the offseason, you can pretty much engage, if you want to go in that direction, which they have not right. even given the slightest inclination that, that they're going to do that, now you can engage everyone in the offseason. You know, whether it's a great team, a mediocre team, or whatever, 
And I, I realize that maybe if you if you trade if you think of trading one of them now, you might have a good team kind of over the barrel and can ask for a little bit more. But I think you know it works just as well as here. Here's the thing about sale is. I think with you know what's happened with the Cubs and what's happened with Houston and what's happened with Kansas City when they traded Granky and so forth and so on, that's just the default situation now. Oh, this team's struggling. They need to rebuild. Let's trade the best player and get seven guys back that can help the team. Well, it doesn't always work that way, first of all. And second of all, in Chris Sale, you have a guy who's still under contract with a couple options, I believe, for three more years, and you have a guy who wants to be there. This is not a guy who's saying, well, when I go free agent or at the end of this year, I don't want to come back, I want to be traded. This is a guy who wants to be there, and he wants to not necessarily be the face of the team. He's, I don't think he wants – he's not requesting that. But is, is, is comfortable being one of the leaders, is comfortable stepping up and saying things when he feels it needs to be said, as he did in the you know, situation in spring training. So this is not a guy you, you need to get rid of. This is a guy you build a team around, and people will say, well – You've already had, you know, what, five of his prime years as a starter and four so far, and you're not really giving gone anywhere. Well, you know, all it takes is one year to click. So you build around him and you build the core around him, is my opinion. Same with Quintana. But, I mean, I, I don't think you trade him just because it's magically going to turn your team around. There's no guarantee of that. You have a guy that teams will overpay by millions and millions to get. So why trade him at this point? Exactly, exactly. Uh, one more point on sale. And we're thinking a little bit ahead here, a couple weeks ahead. But, um, you know, you kind of look at the landscape, and it's hard to identify American League starting pitcher for the All-Star game. If you go by reputation and, and pedigree and all these things, I think it's Chris Sale. Uh, I know Robin Ventura feels that way. He said the other day, he's the best. You can say I'm biased or not. He's still the best. I would tend to agree with that. But then if you want to get, uh, you know, down to the statistics of it all, and we know Sale had a, a couple rough outings in the last month or so, um, you know, right now there's a great case for Stephen Wright, the knuckleballer who, uh, you know, barely makes the rotation uh, out of camp and, and ends up having a great season for the Red Sox. Uh, within the division, Danny Salazar, Quintana himself uh, has a bit of a case if, if you want to get into stats. But um, I don't know. I just have this feeling it's going to be Chris Sale. I could be wrong. In an interesting side note, last year when they had won the seven in a row, they were going for their eighth straight, uh, a second four-game sweep. They had swept Cleveland in four taking the first three from Boston, and it was Sale against Stephen Wright, and Boston ended up winning that game, and that pretty much, and not putting that all on Sale, obviously, but that kind of changed the landscape. They went home and had a bad homestand, and they were three and six in the homestand, and that was pretty much yeah. the end. But, yeah, I think it's, you know, there's some interesting scenarios, and, and he has two more starts against Houston and Atlanta, and granted, Houston's playing about as well as anyone right now, but if you look at the numbers, Sale just dominates the Astros, just absolutely owns the Astros, so that should be good for his stats. And then the Braves and the Braves are not, a, you know, they're the worst team in baseball along with Minnesota. So, it, you know, it should be, there's a chance he goes into the break 15-2 and two with an ERA well below three. And But the other choices you make are also good cases, too. And Sale will be on target the way they're, they have him start. I believe he's starting Saturday and the following Friday. So he would be available to start that game. Stephen Wright's a great story. He's been, you know, he's been pretty much the lone consistent force right on that Boston starting rotation this year. And Salazar is, you know, probably the, the ace or, you know, one of the aces, I guess, which is one of the reasons Cleveland is so good. But probably the most consistent guy they've had this year for, you know, the best team in that division. I think all three are good options, but I think this may be Sales' turn. This will be, barring something completely unexpected, Sales' fifth straight year as an all-star. So every year he's been a starter. He, you know, he pitched part of one year as a reliever and then one full year as a reliever. Every full year he has been a starter. Chris Sale has been an all-star, will be an all-star. 
And I, I think there would be a strong case, you know, because of that, you know, kind of the body of work that Chris would be the starter this year. And, of course, Ned Yost knows Sale uh, quite well. So I, I think that reputation will precede him there in, in making that selection. Uh, Carlos Rodon, uh, two earned runs or fewer in four of his last five starts. So there's a, you know, there's a guy who's had his ups and downs uh, here in his sophomore season, but seems to be uh, getting a little traction there. Yeah, I think we said we talked about this before on the extra, you know, uh, podcast here, and that you have to remember that he's barely over a year as a major league pitcher, and you know, just a little over a year. I want to say like 36, 37 starts now as part of the rotation. So. He's a very talented kid, very tough competitor. I think the one thing he'd probably like is a little more efficiency over the course of the game. You know, he's he's been more effectively wild. The good thing for him is that when he is getting behind two all or three one in counts, he's not giving in, he's not walking guys, and he's not really getting hit very hard. But you know, he, he is not getting into the seventh, not getting into the eighth, which again feeds into that taxing the bullpen. But yeah, he's been great of late. He's been attacking the zone more. And I think it's just all a learning process for him. As Don Cooper has pointed out many, many times in very colorful terms, you know, he did not come as a finished product. He's not a finished product, and they're, they're, and that's fine. He's, he's, you know, basically a little over one year in the majors, and they're working on it. And he, he should be, you know, a strong. I think that's something that people point to when they talk about trading Sale or Quintana is that you have a guy like Rodon, you have Carson Fulmer in the wings, Spencer Adams, that sort of thing. But you know, again, it, it, Sale is Sale. And Rodon is working to get somewhere close to that level. What do you make of uh, Tim Anderson's first couple weeks in the big leagues, Merck, uh, particularly from the power standpoint, in his last uh, six games, three home runs? That was not uh, – I don't know if that's something that was definitely expected, that, that, that kind of power boost. But they're 8-8 eight and eight with him in the lineup, which is an improvement over the way things are going uh, the, the few weeks beforehand. What's been the, uh, the early takeaways from Mr. Anderson's career? Uh, you know, kind of an electric offensive force, you know, kind of makes make things happen. Um, you know, pretty solid defensively from what we've seen. And shortstop looks like he's better going up the middle than in the hole, you know, between short and third. But still, again, so raw and so young in efficient. And, of course, the thing everyone points to is he has yet to draw a walk at the major league level. But that was kind of his M.O. as he was coming up through the system, you know. Made things happen with the bat. Was not a, a guy who worked deep into the counts. But... You know, it was his time. He forced the issue. Jimmy Rollins was not was not good, you know, for the White Sox. He did not hit the ball very well. He was very bad against right-handed hitters. But, again, I think it was more a case of Tim Anderson proving it was time for him to come to the majors and play every day. Because you also had Tyler Saladino, who's a pretty viable player at the major league level also, more so than anyone else being bad. You know, it, it was a combination of things, but mostly Tim Anderson and He's, he's done a nice job there. That's been a good move by Rob. I, I, you know, Adam Eaton was a leadoff hitter as long as he's been in Chicago. And I don't think he ever really particularly, I don't want to say he didn't love the position, but he knew he had more at another spot in the order. So I think you, you made two positions stronger by kind of like moving Eaton to right field by moving Eaton to the second spot in the lineup. So I, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good look for the offense. And Tim Anderson has been you know, the athlete and the, the solid baseball player people expected. And, of course, very young, so going to make some mistakes, going to – you know, be a little impatient at times, but they they have a good one in Tim Anderson, it looks like. All right, there's the latest from Mr. Merck. I want to thank him for joining us, and thank you for tuning in. This has been MLB.com Extra, Chicago White Sox edition.
MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free AtBat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.